So we're now in our Advent series and we're looking at, uh, we're looking at the whole thing about making room. And a boy wanted to be Joseph in the Sunday school pageant. And similar, I wanted to be Joseph. I think I was about nine. I wanted to be Joseph and it was like, yeah, you're Joseph. They got me up, all this. They chose Mary and then they decided I couldn't be Joseph because I was smaller than Mary. Then the next year, I didn't want to be Joseph. I'd gone to some scout parade or something, came back, and all my friends in Sunday school are laughing. I'm like, why? And they're like, you're Joseph, we volunteered you. I didn't want to be Joseph that year. But anyway, there was this boy who really wanted to be Joseph, but he was cast instead as the landlord and of the innkeeper role. And he objected, but no one was listening to that. But when the play was presented, Mary and Joseph knocked on the door and asked if he had any room for them. He was meant to say no, because he wanted to have a go at those who wouldn't give him the Joseph party. He said, yes, sure, lots of room, come in. (laughs) Most nativity plays feature Mary and Joseph travelling the streets of Bethlehem, desperate to find somewhere to stay. Traditionally, they visit two or three innkeepers and often their wives as well if they need more parts uh, being held. And they are told there is no room in the inn. Then there is a kindly innkeeper who says, well, they do have room, but in the stable. Another nativity play was going as planned. And Joseph and Mary were going from house to house, knocking on the doors and asking if there's any room for them. As they continued to get no room, no room being answered a little voice about five or six called from the back you should have booked online (laughs) bringing the house down now the idea of there being no room for Jesus becomes a wider metaphor for Christmas and it's interesting actually that scholars suspect that it was less likely an inn even though we talk about the innkeeper a lot or hotel that Mary and Joseph couldn't find room in Bethlehem wasn't really a traveller's spot, even though it wasn't far from Jerusalem. And it was much more likely it was just space with family that they couldn't find. Some may say it was due to the disgrace of Mary being pregnant when Joseph and Mary were not married. However, other scholars suggest that Mary and Joseph may reasonably have found room to stay with relatives, but the actual act of giving birth, there was no room for that because it was a messy old job. So that's why they had to go out to where the animals were fed. But we're going to look at Luke, the the book of Luke today. And Luke clearly points out whatever the sort of where's and why for's and the practicalities, points out there was no room for them. It doesn't go into the detail as to why, but just there was no room. And I think this is the reason that it's this part is in the story, it's because God wanted it there. God was making a statement. And we're using this over the next few series to help with our thoughts about Christmas and Advent, about preparing ourselves for the birth of Jesus. Last week, Vicky challenged us to be a non-anxious presence, to maybe make room in our schedules. But we're also going to look at making room for the marginalised, for wonder and hope, for worship, and most importantly of all, for the Son of God. I say we're going to look at Luke and what he tells us at the very start of his gospel. So let's start with Luke 1, 
one to four, and should be coming up on the screen now. So Luke says this, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from who first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And again, scholars disagree whether there's actually a person called Theophilus who was being written to, or whether it's a term for those who are reading this. Because for those who know a bit of Greek, Theo is God, Phil, if you don't know, I'm Phil. (laughs) And actually Phil, or Philio, is love. Now, Phil often is lover of. So when we have Philip, which is my name if you're my nan or my mom, Philip means lover of horses, which isn't quite true in my case, so I don't really care for them. But Theophilus, we're getting lover of God or lover of the things of God. So it could be that's talking to all of us who want to love the things of God or who do love the things of God. But here, we've got here the, uh, what Luke is telling them, that he's going to give them an account of what Jesus did. I used to love show and tell at school. And as you can imagine, I didn't have much problem with the telling part. Uh, describing the item brought in great detail. And at the start of the gospel, Luke is actually saying... I am going to show you who Jesus is through story. I'm going to show you by what Jesus did, by the accounts that happened, who Jesus is. He's going to show all that Jesus had to offer. And we're going to look at three stories from Luke's account. Now, there are many stories in there. And part of this is to challenge you to not just go with the familiar. This Christmas, don't just go, well, I know the stories. I know what happens. Every year I have to do a little talk for Allenwell Infants and Pastor John did the quiz, I did the talk. That was tradition. And every year I would go, I don't think I've got a story in me this year. Probably I did it 15 years in a row. I'll say, I don't have another one. And every year when I sat down and prayed and said, show me something, God, something new would come. So don't just think, oh, I know these stories. Think about and pray about what God is telling you through them as we look at these stories together, but also as then we look at, um, as you look at your studies going forward. Don't just let us tell you stories on a Sunday. Continue to do this as we go through. Now, when we looked at stories in English at school, our teacher, Mr. Walker, said your introduction always had to have six little questions and these six little questions were this they are who so who is involved who is involved in the story then next what so what happens what goes on when was it where did it happen how did it happen And finally, why? 
Why did this story happen? Why is this story, this bit of literature that we're looking at, why is it being told? Why is it important? So as we read through stories, and most of the talk today is actually reading from the Bible. And don't worry, the first one is quite a long story and it does get a bit shorter before you worry about your beef, turkey or pork. But what we're going to do is look at three stories that form part of the Christmas narrative. And I want you, yourself, to answer these questions as we're going along. What is happening? Why is it important? Who's involved? We sort of know when it was, around 2,000 years ago. We know the sort of area in Israel, around sort of Bethlehem, Nazareth, different areas there. Um, But also, why and how did it happen? And just answer those in your mind. Now we're going to start at Luke 1 and verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to them, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people waiting for Zechariah and wondered why he'd stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realised he'd seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. We're now skipping forward to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have a baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown a great mercy and they shared her joy. 
On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mum spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one on your relative side who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbours were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, when is this, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Now we know also Luke talks about Mary and Gabriel going to Mary and she had a similar response to to the angel going well how can this be but it's interesting with Zechariah that actually Zechariah's approach and hopefully I've spelt it right Zechariah's approach was almost the same words how can it be but he was chastised by the angel while Mary was comforted so obviously the angel knew the heart knew the heart of both of them that actually Mary was astonished she was frightened she was scared but there was faith there well with Zechariah there was disbelief as I said hopefully you've been answering these questions in your mind as you we've been reading the story So you may have things buzzing around what you want to take from that. Please keep those in your heart. Ponder those, as it says Mary does does in the Christmas story. But one thing I picked out was that idea of make room to be surprised. Because actually, out of all the three people that we read of today, Zechariah was the person that you'd think. He was the priest, he was serving in the temple, he was doing all the things he should do. But he wasn't ready to be surprised that Christmas. He wasn't ready that God had a new thing to do. Think about what new story could happen this year if you're ready to be surprised. Next, we're going to read from Luke 2, 22. And we're going to read someone else who came into contact with Jesus. Another story. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses... Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation." which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Then the child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and be a sign that will be spoken against 
so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So now our next story is Simeon. Now with Simeon, it said he was moved by the spirit. And what that seems to show is that's how he led his life, but how he was moved in that particular moment there. How do we make room this Christmas for the spirit? How do we make room for the spirit to change the narrative, change where our story's going? You may be somebody who's very planned, maybe even after what Vicky said last week about making room, about taking time and taking time to rest. Maybe you've been incredibly planned and organised, going, okay, I'm going to move some stuff there, I'm going to make sure this stuff doesn't happen, we're going to do this here, this here, and you've got it as a military operation. Is there room in your story for you to be moved by the Spirit? Is that your prayer? That the Spirit maybe takes you somewhere differently? That you're speaking to people you never thought you would? You are engaging in the Christmas story in a totally different way because you have made yourself really open to the Spirit. There are people here who, like Simeon, may have been promised things. That promise may overshadow Christmas for you. But maybe just hold on to that. Maybe this story just gives you that more, a bit more courage, a bit more belief, a bit more faith, a bit more focus. Hold on to those promises. Bring them before God. So maybe your story this Christmas could be a story of promise, a story led by the Spirit. And then finally, we're going to look at Luke 2, 36. Here was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. You notice all the stories here are old people. Now, my knees are clicking, so it's an encouragement to me. But however you identify, whether you think yourself as old or not, somebody's show flashing me their leg here, which is quite perturbing. But... Maybe you feel old. Maybe you feel that God's voice, God's story can't penetrate where you are. All three of these stories say these people are old and God spoke powerfully to them. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So here we've got prayer, we've got fasting and worship, and we've got Anna who was doing that, who was preparing herself in that particular way. Vicky last week, as I said, talked about being that non-anxious presence. And when we're thinking about maybe clearing room things that make us anxious, things that maybe have kept us on a bit of a treadmill around Christmas. Do we then make room for honour and worship? Do we do the preparation of our spiritual selves? Maybe that could be for you fasting before Christmas. Maybe it could be just more prayer. Maybe it's more worship or engaging with worship in a different way even including that in things you do. So as you're preparing things, worship is on. How do we make room there? 
But Anna, she, she made room for honour and worship in her life. And even after so many years, she then was able to see Jesus and see the Messiah in action there. And all of the characters here point us to Jesus. They are signposts to him and who he was on earth and who he is today. And you can see on my flip chart, actually, even though these people are signposts, their names take up the whole bit. There's not really much room for me to write Jesus' name here. It's sort of a bit squashed. And what we've got to make sure is, even when we're making room for story, that we still, these stories point to Jesus. The stories that we read, the stories that we engage with, signposts to who he is and what he did. But also our lives do the same. Because one of the things you need to do is if you make room for something, when you clear something out, it's got to go somewhere, doesn't it? So if you're, you can't dig a hole and then not be soil and debris, that's got to go somewhere, doesn't it? Is that right? Yeah. Now, when we used to do gardens for people, often they'd say, oh, just chuck it in the next door's garden. They don't mind. Now, that's not good, but you've got to clear. So it's got to go somewhere, doesn't it? The soil's got to go somewhere. Or if you clear it out a garage or a shed, you've got to put those things somewhere. Lots of people around by where I live think the canal side or the train track is an appropriate place for it to go. Hopefully you don't. But what, we, what do you need to do to get rid of things in order to make room for story this Christmas? And I've talked about schedules and it's so tempting, isn't it, for um, with the first non-COVID Christmas going, oh, we didn't do this the last year, we didn't do this the year before, let's bring it back. And then soon what we're doing is actually filling our time massively. What do you need to get rid of in order to make room for for story this Christmas and also how do you keep that room going throughout throughout your life really my brother makes me laugh in a lot of ways but every half term I'm asked or my mom's asked to look after Jonathan my nephew which is fine but there's always a reason it is we're clearing out the garage or the study which is fair enough clear out the garage or the study but then the next half term, oh yeah, can you look after Jonathan on Thursday? Because we want to clear out the study. And sometimes if I'm cheeky, I thought you did that last, I thought you did that six weeks ago. But the things get, the things go back in, don't they? You like go, oh yeah, we've cleared it out, but oh, we'll just put some junk back in. Oh yeah, close the door. And to be honest, if you saw my study or office, you his is so much better than mine, so I shouldn't laugh at them. But so often we do that, we clear out, we make space, but things creep back in. So we need to think about how we can engage with those stories where we see lives and communities change in the book of Luke, where these people receive Jesus and encounter them. How do we make space for that to happen? Freddie and John were fortunate enough to have a season ticket for a football team. It says Chelsea. I don't think that's actually fortunate. But anyway, they had season tickets. But they couldn't help noticing every time there was always the spare seat next to them, B14. 
and they had a friend who would have loved to buy a season ticket. So they thought it'd be great if we could have three seats together. So they went to the ticket office and asked if they could buy the season ticket for B14. The official said, unfortunately, the seat had been sold. However, week after week, the seat was still empty, which is rather odd, isn't it? Because it had been sold. But then, what's always good on Christmas is the Boxing Day football match. And then on Boxing Day, much to Freddie and Eddie's amazement, the seat was taken for the first time that season. So John couldn't resist asking the newcomer, where have you been all season? Don't ask, he said. The wife bought me the season ticket back last summer, but she kept it for a surprise Christmas present. <laughs> you see, that Christmas present wasn't just for Christmas, was it? And the Christmas story isn't just for Christmas either. We're challenging you to make room for story this Christmas, but these stories can also propel us throughout the year. Max Licardo once noted that the manger was a statement that there is no place Jesus will not go. If he is willing to be born in a barnyard, then expect him to be born to work anywhere. Bars, bedrooms, boardrooms. No place is too common. No person is too hardened. No distance is too far. There's no person he cannot reach. There is no limit to his love. Make room for story in your own life. And as I said earlier, interestingly, it was the priest who actually responded probably most poorly in the story and needed to learn. There can be a caution to those of us who've been around a while in church to understand that God can break through and surprise us also. And remember that we're part of the story. We can be part of this story. It says in 2 Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So whatever you read and engage with over Christmas, maybe asking these six little questions and trying to get really what is going on in these stories. Remember that that can equip us to do every good work. We started, didn't we, with the video, and we said we'd love to see this place packed with people, yourselves and friends, just coming in and being, uh, having hospitality and engaging with the story. But who are you going to speak to? Who are you going to invite? Who are you going to pray for? Maybe today, and Mons will love this, maybe you go up and say, I only need a ticket for myself and one other person, but I'm going to give you a fiver today, Mons, and I want three extra tickets. And that's going to be my sort of challenge this week, to ask people. Remember, don't just do it as a sort of one-off, like, ooh, hit and run. Pray for people. Really ask God to put, who are the people that he wants you to ask to these things, to help them connect with story? Really pray into that. Maybe it's the more quieter contemplative service we've got that you think, well, actually, that would be really useful for one of my friends to go to. Really just pray about who and where and why. It might be years since you've invited someone to church. I've been challenged as well. So let's see what we can do together about 
really praying into who to invite and to help them engaging in story this year. One of the most famous hymns of Christmas, well, actually sung throughout the year, was by Emily Elizabeth Steele Elliott. And it's called, Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown. And it says this, Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home was there found no room for thy holy nativity. O come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. Let's make room for Jesus this Christmas. And let's make room for his story in our lives today, but also for the stories, these old, old stories to just show us of his love, his power and his heart for us and the people around us. If the band could come up, please. Let's pray.